0: Thought-provoking, no question. Informative, you bet. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. It is left, right, and center, and we welcome back. As they said, uh, used to have a bottle at home of some kind of a hair liniment restorer, and on the front of it, it had. The old original. We have the old originals <laughs> with us today. Not that either one of them needs hair restore. Uh, Jeff Schlemmer and Bob I Metz. we were are both with to us. be insulted
1: there. Except <laughs> no substitutes. Well, you mentioned old reliables, and I was thinking of the old contemptibles, which was <laughs> <a> Wellington's <laughs> army. Oh,
0: jeez. <laughs> Except, Except no substitutes. We'll take that too. you. Uh, Bob and Jeff, uh, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer are with us on left, right, and center today. And I'm really glad that you, particular fellows, are here today because I've got one for you. And it grows out of an earlier con- a couple of conversations today, but it grows out of a long-standing battle that I have with certain members of my audience and certain friends of mine, certain people that I know. Here's, here's the here's the basic. We had a fellow call this morning, very nice gentleman, had some very intelligent things to say, but he made reference fairly early on to the corporations. And the way he said it, uh, you could just tell that in his mind it had parentheses about it and was in bold capital letters. The corporations. And I'm not, I'm not belittling his opinion. I don't want anybody to misunderstand this because there's a lot of people who share his opinion. Uh, and we talked a little bit about it, and and it certainly it appeared to me, and he didn't con- contradict this, that he's one of these folks that believes there is an international uh, conspiracy, if you will. Maybe that's not quite the right word, but let's use that. An international conspiracy of of giant corporations, multinational corporations, run by people who care about nothing except money, uh, to whom public safety is not an issue, public welfare is not an issue, uh, 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 social health is not an issue, and I don't mean individual health, but I mean the, the health of a society. None of these things matter, that it's all just about money, and that the, these people are running the world today and will become more and more powerful, and as they do, the rights and privileges and quality of life for everyone is going to diminish because, after all, you can't make a profit. You can't make a profit and, and deliver what everybody needs. Uh, maybe I've been a little uh, uh, doctrinaire there, but I think both of you guys understand what I'm saying, and I know you've both mm-hmm. talked to people who believe that. Jeff, I'm going to start with you because you're a little more to the left on more this. More likely to believe that. Or more likely <laughs> to believe that, yes. Uh, do you believe that? Do you think that's true?
1: I think that broadly speaking it is it's true and I think though that it doesn't represent a change and I heard you mention that uh, you know this is nothing new and uh, I think back to you know when we sort of rose out of the primordial ooze somebody became the boss you know somebody happened to be stronger than the next guy and ended up being a leader and eventually over the years we had clan leaders who became kings Uh, you know we evolved an aristocracy there's always been a ruling bunch of people uh, and there always will be um, we, you know, as far as what now whether you clothe them in, in corporate uh, clothing, um, in some respects you can, I suppose. To me, the, what's insidious about corporations is that uh, is this phrase that I hear, which is that the primary duty which any CEO owes is to maximize shareholder value. That that's job one, no matter what. Um, And that that always poses a problem because sometimes you'll even get CEOs, they come out and and they will say, you know, I feel badly about this, that and the other thing. But my job, I report to shareholders and my job is to maximize shareholder value. And in the intense competition that we have today and also in the uh, massive sort of increase in profitability that we saw in the 90s, unless I'm getting a double digit return on the investment of the shareholders each year, I'm
0: fired. And that's true. Yeah, you know, I'm tr- fired with $50 million in stock well, options. Well, that, that's but, true, but you're, right,
1: you're right. But yeah. broadly speaking, that's the rationale that we hear for for these decisions that are contrary to sort of what we might consider to be the public good. Um, and, and the thing about a corporation, people need to bear in mind, is that uh, all a corporation is is, is, a, is a legal vehicle to minimize the liability of investors in a, in a venture.
0: But it also is those investors. It's all the people who've invested in that company. They are the corporation, too. Uh, in in a, in a real they own the corporation yeah they own the corporation yeah. but in uh, uh, legally they're not the corporation but, but they well, own the corporation but what
1: a corporation says is that you could uh, a corporation at root says you can run a business and if it goes bankrupt you don't lose your shirt That's what a corporation is.
0: Well, depending on how it's set up, but yes.
1: No, no, but that's what a corporation... And, and, you know, you may have personal guarantees and things you have to do and stuff, but I remember from law school and corporate law that the whole thing... The corporation... The concept was invented at one point, and I gather it was back in the 1600s or whenever, uh, and and I believe it had a lot to do with Great Britain, and at that time, the sort of expansionism that they were undergoing, you know, the um, Hudson Bay Company and so on, the Great East India Tea Mm -hmm. Company and so on, and basically what they said was, it'll be better for business if we can limit the liability of investors um, and, and owners of, uh, of these ventures at the time, if Henry Hudson's going to go off and have a, an adventure in the North, um, why should he uh, lose his shirt? Why should he go out personally bankrupt if it doesn't work out? But in
0: fact, the reality is that large corporations today are not insulated from from the uh, negative effects of many of the things they do. We've seen examples of Dow Corning over the blessed Im- breast implants. number of huge corporations who have been assessed back fines that have eff- effectively destroyed their ability to function as corporations and driven them into bankruptcy.
1: Well, but, but what a corporation says, though, is that there would be... Uh, s- some individuals who effectively control Dow Corning, if they didn't have the vehicle of a corporation to protect them, they would be personally bankrupted as well. And And what we see is that uh, when Robert Campo goes bankrupt, for instance, in Canada, he still lives in a multi-million dollar house, you know, he's still uh, jetting around the world and all that stuff, that there's bankruptcy for you and I, and then there's bankruptcy for that that, uh, class that he's referring to. And the question is, you know, are there people in the world who probably have a huge amount of influence who are not motivated uh, as their first goal to try and improve the human condition I would say yes that's true and and to say partly it's because we've set up a system or we've allowed ourselves to have a system set up where uh, they can say maximizing shareholder value is job one Uh, there are other values uh, being good corporate citizens and so on but that's not the thing that's not my primary job that's not the thing that'll get me fired it'll get me fired if I don't make a big return to the investors and and albeit that often increasingly investors are um, institutional investors. Uh, Pension funds, for instance, uh, uh, Teachers Pension Fund, for instance, is one of the largest investors in Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, So the people that they're ultimately reporting to are regular Joes at some level, but they feel that they have to make them a double-digit return on their investment every year. Bob? Bob?
2: I don't even know where to begin after hearing all of that. I, I, You know, right off the top, Jeff used words like boss, leader, king, and as though corporations were like the ruling class. And I really think that a lot of our mentality today, the public's general mentality, is still in... Almost medieval ages, when the world was ruled by rulers, by people who ruled by force, not by economic clout in the marketplace. They literally would pull out a sword, a gun, or a tank, or something, and shoot you if you didn't comply with what they wanted. No corporation in the world today has any power of that nature at all. And to the extent they do, it's only because a government supports them,
0: mm-hmm. which Or they're legitimate. They or they choose to break the law.
2: Or, or they're breaking the law, in which yeah. case it's not an issue anyway, because we're going to go after them. But the greatest beneficiary of, of corporations, without exception and without doubt, is is the little guy. I hear all these left-wingers complaining about corporate agendas and this and that, and yet they're always going shopping down at Walmart and, and all the places with the big corporations who offer them the lowest prices for the cheapest goods. If you were working for individuals, for example, uh, say 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 a corporation was making furniture, um because a corporation does it, they can mass produce, and the furniture's cheaper for, for people who can't afford expensive furniture. The people who can't afford f- expensive furniture don't go to corporations. They go to private individuals and where it's more labor-intensive, a fine cabinet maker, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, which the average person can't afford. And well, that applies to every industry. So, So, fundamentally the corporations are slaves to the marketplace being the little guy and because they produce the goods that the little guy will buy at a price the little guy can afford. The idea that they can just jack up the price to to whatever they want is not true. They jack up the price to what the market will bear and that means that to what you're willing to pay and if you're willing to pay for a widget ten bucks let's say even if it only cost a penny to produce that's what they're going to charge you until more more competitors come in and realize well I can I can sell that widget for $9 and still make 8, eight, eight dollars or whatever.
1: Well, you notice I didn't say that uh, anybody's got a better idea either. <laughs> but, uh, if you look at the USSR, for instance, and the ruling class that existed there. Uh, you know, they were exactly the same in the sense that you had a few uh, few uh, guys uh, running the show and uh, they became corrupted and they became extremely wealthy. Um, you know, I,
2: I think that... It was this uh, government again. We
1: really have to have benevolent dictatorship. That's that's the only way to really run the world. Uh, I think the Pope uh, should run the world. The Pope has no interest in sort of anything well, I don't except think the welfare be of man and people
2: would, would expect. I don't think that's... Too Theoretic- benevolent.
1: theoretically you would want to have but, but it, fundamentally I guess it comes down to this question of whether you're better off having somebody who who is supposedly acting overtly in the best interest of mankind or whether it's better to have a system like the invisible hand uh, capitalism well that's Adam, the maybe, one that works where 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 things have a way of working out for the best even though nobody is overtly saying I'm doing this for the best interest of mankind but I'll sell you a product really cheap
2: um, which will be in your best interest well that's that's how it works and the point is what how do corporations create their money they don't tax you. They don't come to your door and say "Give pay up or I'll shoot you. No, they produce you a good and you, you choose to buy it or not. And well, that's how they get their power. Corporations are probably the only organizations in society that are truly democratic, that truly have the support of the people because they're not just mouthing with their mouths, they're actually putting their dollars where their mouth is. Um... And then to to see people come out and complain about corporations, usually for non-corporate agendas. Like, everyone who's against corporations has a political agenda, rather. That's what I meant to say. And that agenda is anti-capitalism. That's what came out at the Quebec Trade Conference, or, uh, you know, at the talks in in Quebec City, Mm -hmm. that uh, the enemy was capitalism, in other words, the people opposed to free trade are opposed to the ownership of private property. They're opposed to voluntary exchange. They're both opposed to free but market.
0: They'll say yeah. they're not, though. They'll say uh, what they're opposed to is corporate control over the governmental... Uh, uh, um, uh, structures of our country they're concerned that the corporations will and, become and more powerful far- and they're they're concerned
1: corporations, concerned that the corporations want... won't look after things like pollution and health standards that's that's what it sort of
2: comes down to that they, well, they, they ne-
1: still need nationalism to balance no, out no you you do profits. need governments
2: yeah. to enforce things like that on yeah. the behalf of other private interests that's but that's that's, that's, a, that's a whole separate issue and does has nothing to do with free trade free trade's purely economic uh, an, uh, an economic issue
1: well i think and that issue's been finesse so as we become more aware of it. all i heard from the from alex mcdonough and the and the lefties was Free trade is good, it's inevitable and everything else, but it needs to be fair trade, and there also needs to be a balance. Oh, balancing. that's silly, silly, there silly, free trade,
2: fair trade. Free, free trade is the only well, fair trade. that's we don't like the United States rolling all over us all the time. Because you say, either have free trade, trade or you have controlled trade. That's but what they mean by fair trade. But also, we have these concerns
1: because, you know, because we have this structure where, again, corporations are... Uh, it's not—it's not an evil thing to say, but they're motivated by profit. That's what they're motivated. Well, no, it's actually a virtue thing to by say. Profit, they may not be motivated to keep the environment pristine. Would they you rather have someone motivated, motivated by profit, profit or motivated
2: by power? But we're you saying know?
1: there's a problem. You know that pure capitalism in and of itself will leave these problems out there. The name one. Pollution will be one. The companies will why, not. Why profit. then, why then start start are the capitalist profit profit countries in the world have uh, the cleanest environment and
2: the dirtiest countries They're in the world are wealthy by far? But that's that well, the point. It's well, not because it's not companies decided the they wanted to clean things up. <laughs> okay, guys,
0: I got <laughs> to stop you there for just a moment. We'll be back with more on Left, Right, and Center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. You still where we are. This is Talk of the Town, where interesting people talk. And London listens. Jeff Schlemmer, Bob Metz with us today, talking about, quote, of the corporations. Does this worldwide conspiracy exist of these top corporate bosses who want to run the world for their own profit and perhaps amusement? Um, Just before we broke there, you guys were talking or beginning to talk about pollution. I want to raise that as an issue here now. If there is no, how do I put this? Sinister agenda of these corporations? If they are simply out there trying to meet the market's needs and maximize returns for their investors, how do we, in a rational society, ensure that, on the off chance that those two goals do not also correspond with some higher social goals, like creating a clean environment or maintaining a clear, clean environment? Bob, um, how do we how do we influence? That corporate mentality or that corporate hierarchy to ensure that our those needs of ours that may be we may be less less able to articulate. In fact, we may, in some cases, not even recognize them as problems until it's too late. How do we do that? How do well, we get them to do that?
2: Pollution is a property rights issue. As a private individual, if another party, including the government, pollutes your property, you should have the right to sue and have be redressed and either stop the pollution or be compensated for it. Do
0: we which, have that right now?
2: Um, I'm saying morally we should. In law, no, of course, that doesn't work. Because even England introduced what they called... They, they, before, I think, the 1800s, early 1800s, they used to deal with pollution under the nuisance laws. And then the government lifted the nuisance laws to allow trains to go by places and dump their soot on everybody because it was considered to be in the public interest have trains running because mm-hmm. that that benefited the greater good. So the people along the train track got polluted on, where before they had a right under a nuisance law to prevent that from happening. And so I always find it funny that people who argue the common good uh, to, to, to look for laws to stop pollution don't realize that's the argument that caused the laws that, that allowed pollution to happen in the first place. Um, socialist countries were dramatic in that respect. However, the issue is is further than that. We're going to have pollution. We, can't, we cannot sh- shoot for 0% pollution. The reason North America gets blamed for being the big polluter is because we're the big producer. We don't produce just for ourselves. We trade with the whole world. That same global economy out there, a global marketplace that's yelling at us for polluting our, pro- our, our air and stuff here is using the products that we create. And when you concentrate, for example, cars are all produced in one or two major localities, okay, but produced for a whole country. So Detroit is a messy place. I mean, that's a pretty polluted place. It's one of the dirtier spots in North America. And you can do what you can to a point, but you have to realize the benefit of all that is accruing to the whole country as a whole, and that if every little village and country created its own cars, they'd create little local pockets of pollution that would all amount to the same thing but spread more evenly. So that's kind of what we see happening and then people get very upset. That doesn't mean pollution's not a problem. It should be always minimized and governments certainly have some... Um, I guess it comes d- down to price paying. Where, where do we say that the amount of pollution we create creates a greater problem than you know, the, our standard of living mm-hmm. and, and our style of living. I remember when I first uh, had this, this question about pollution asked me, I was at a high school in, in the City of London. I really didn't have an answer for it at the time, but I reminded all the students there that every one of them flushes a the toilet, I don't know how many times a day. They, we, 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 you know, listen to our records, we play CDs, we've got computers, all of those materials, a table that this is made out of, the, the electronics we're making, all had to be produced, and somewhere heat and energy had to be applied. And wherever you create heat and energy, that is the number one source of pollution. That That's what drives the engine of everything. And, you know, you have George Bush now saying that... Um, very, very smartly, I believe, that the economy comes first, because it does. If we put pollution first and economy second, we're going to have a bad economy and a lot of pollution. If we put the economy first and pollution second, we're going to have a good economy and less pollution.
1: Well, I don't think anybody's ever said that they're going to put the environment first. I, I've never heard that. But uh, certainly, I, I was struck last week listening to how uh, there there was a doctor, and I can't remember which one it was. It might have even been Fred Sexman. I can't remember. Anyway, they said that about 15% of um, of kids in London now have asthma. And uh, I was thinking about how slowly we're sort of poisoning these kids. And I don't have asthma, so I don't know how unpleasant it is. But I gather it's not that pleasant to have. And it strikes me that, uh, again, it's sort of happening slowly. It was sort of like the the analogy about how if you put a frog in a pot uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, turn up the heat, it will will boil to death and not realize it um, because it's happening gradually and slowly. Um, It's funny. I use that
2: example to illustrate the growth of the state, but yeah. (laughs) Well, it
1: strikes me how you do have this sort of redressing from time to time, and how around the turn of the century, it was Teddy Roosevelt who had uh, reacted against the robber barons of the 1800s. Arguably, the robber barons of the 1800s made the United States the preeminent nation in the world. Um, You know, they expanded like crazy and uh, outstripped uh, England very quickly. Um, But at some point, they decided, uh, as a nation, that they had to pull back from that. That these railroad barons and Standard Oil and all these Guys had to be reined in, and they brought in the was it Safe Food Act from the Chicago Stockyards, mm-hmm. I think uh, they brought in um, pollution uh, rules. They've ordered companies broken up, and there was this reaction against the power of the uh, of the corporations at that time. Sort of brought in all this legislation to sort of slow them down. Then they sort of going again. I think World War II and the Depression kind of s- caused them to lose a lot of steam. Uh, and and my understanding, and I could be wrong with this, but I have read that this whole discussion of globalization and the uh, some And all that stuff actually started after World War II at Bretton Woods, I believe, Mm -hmm. and that at that time it wasn't companies that were there; it was governments who were largely kind of leftish, uh, following Sir John Maynard Keynes and so on, saying the 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 nations want to assert control over global trade for the best interests of the nations to, as a countermeasure, a counterpoise to the corporations. The, the, the initial discussions around free free trade and globalization and all that stuff were seen as a reaction to corporations rather than being driven by corporations. And again, I, I gather that part of that was that there was this sort of... Um, well, you know,
2: that's interesting you say that because... I often look at, at corporations um, sort of in the way that Isabel Patterson looked at issues in terms of a high energy circuit. Like a corporation can produce things that individuals cannot just because of the capital that's behind it, the energy, the number of people. Um, like, I mean, through corporations, we can put a man on the moon, so to speak, mm-hmm. but you couldn't do that too easily with an individual effort. Um, and that requires a very complex capitalistic system of government where contracts are enforced. where where promises must be kept. And the problem is most of the world is not in that state. It's in a state of, you know, it's who you know not what you know Mm -hmm. type of a a government. And so when we hear the word globalization I'm always torn two ways because there are two globalization movements in total conflict with each other. One is the free trade movement and the movement towards freedom which I support and the other one is to the global one government one one state control in the sense of controlling economic decisions Mm -hmm. which I don't support. I, I don't have any objection to governments around the world adopting free market principles and and working in cohesion that way you don't have to unite to do that um,
1: you know I think there, trade, exactly yes yeah. well, and I look at things like the Commonwealth, for instance, and how that was sort of a model of free trade, if you like within a within a community of interests a uh, hundred hundred and fifty years ago, I gather that Europe a uh, hundred years ago had had fairly um, free trade amongst all the European countries, but I look at at the end of World War Two and how Winston Churchill got turfed out just before the war ended. Mm-hmm. You know, he had won the war for them and so on. But I gather that his
2: policies were fairly uh, right wingish, and that the, yes, there was I a lot you know, I, I,
1: labor I, hear, in, I
2: believe. I hear it said constantly that that Europe had free trade before the war and stuff. That's simply not true. They had trade, just like Canada and the states have had trade for years, but it's not all been quote free. Freedom means free from government tariffs, government taxes government impositions and duties that are based on geographical area where you happen to be. And that existed in Europe constantly, and that was a great tension in Europe. That's one of the reasons they're trying to bring in the Euro now, to try and eliminate those barriers, because every barrier is a barrier to the energy that's waiting to be released from people so they can produce and do things. Yeah, well, they,
1: they go up and down, but certainly there's massive amounts of trade, as they say, in Europe 100 years ago, 150 years ago, during the Industrial Revolution, and that—that that, I think that's one of the things that uh, that caused uh, Europe to sort of pull ahead for the rest of the world economically. Mm-hmm. And, and fundamentally, again, I don't think the government's disagreeing capable about whether or not of, of having people in private enterprises working as hard as they can to turn out a product cheap. I don't think anybody's really disagreeing with that, but I think they are suspicious of this ethic of, um, again, the maximizing shareholder value, and they're just not comfortable saying, uh, we trust that enough that things will work out
0: okay in the end. I got a classic situation mm-hmm. for you. Here's the Nike shoe. and we're not going to pick on mm-hmm. Nike in particular, but it, they've been in the news. The Nike shoe made, my in,
1: watch here. made,
0: made, made in, in a, 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 a I'm not going to say allegedly, I guess it's it's been confirmed, made in sweatshops in Asia, many of them, for a pittance. It costs them very few dollars to make these things. Well, Do you ship know how political
2: in... that statement no, you no. just made was already, using the words like sweatshop? That's a politically loaded statement that that totally obscures the issue.
0: Define but, a sweatshop.
2: Well, uh, well I, I'd like to hear your definition. I don't believe there's such a thing as a sweatshop in the sense of economic... Um, Twelve-hour work, people yeah. working twelve hours a day for well, pittance—is that well? What were what were they doing before they were offered the job? I that's don't know the issue. I don't know what were well, they doing. Well, probably nothing or something worse because they wouldn't have taken the job. I don't think Nike went there and and, right. and conscripted anybody. Okay,
0: okay. don't want to go there. I want to take the second half of the equation. <laughs> In any case, we have this product that's being produced inexpensively somewhere else. The product is shipped to North America where. Many North Americans deplore the conditions under which they think these shoes are being made at the same time as they go and pay $200 for a pair of running shoes, knowing full well that the thing maybe cost 10 bucks to make. How do we, or do we ever, is it possible to address that almost dichotomy there? We've got people saying, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, I'd like to see other people, I'd like to improve their prosperity. You know what you if, it, do? if it
2: doesn't hurt me. Hmm. If I saw Nike making that kind of profit, I would be starting hmm. a shoe factory over there too.
0: And competing with Knights. you can't do that. Neither can I, neither can Jeff.
2: R- well, we, but, don't, have but, money, but, we don't, don't have the money, we don't have the Corporations can, and that's why you need corporations. That's what I'm getting at. This is back to the corporate. But but the corpor- there's not one corporation in the world. There are tens and thousands, yeah, how and how millions of them. But how
0: do we solve that problem where, on the one hand, you allow freedom? On the one hand, you've got a society that says, well, we, 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 we care about the people, we care about the production. On the other hand, they're going to pay $200 well, anyway. Nobody,
2: the people that say they care about them aren't caring about the people. They care about their own pocketbooks, and they, they care, care about jobs in Canada. They don't care about Why foreigners.
0: do they pay $200 for the shoes then?
2: they like, the shoes. The shoe's a good product. Not
0: that's $200 it's not. It's well, a terrible
2: value. Well, obviously the consumer doesn't think so. I used to think that consumers were stupid when they picked VHS over beta or... or well, it's not, not a value
1: per se. It's an image of image and, and what they've got is the, the marketing rules.
2: to create this image that people want to
1: buy into. It's lifestyle products. Th- these are all uh, l- leisure products. They're not fundamental needs. And it's true. I, I buy Nike stuff because I I like their, their image and I like their product, but it's a terrible value. And I and I understand or have heard that uh, you know these same Factories that are turning out the Nikes by day or turning out the sort of Walmart shoes minute. by night. You can't night. say it's a terrible it's product, value when buy it. But I like them with this logo on it, and I'm, I'm as much brainwashed by it as anybody else. But, uh, on but the that's other the hand, value it's you're it's purchasing. You're of years purchasing for them that image. to get image.
0: me brainwashed that way by spending a lot of money on Michael Jordan and a lot so of advertising. Spent, so you're spending all the money to afford them the opportunity to brainwash you to spend some more money on their I know, products. No, I know it's insidious. It's vicious <laughs> I hate that. I, yeah. I,
2: I don't think personally that it actually only costs. It might cost ten bucks to produce the shoe, but to market it and sell it and get it out there, I think you're I think you're looking at, at a much, much higher price. If you just look at Nike's advertising alone, which they spend probably billions on, mm-hmm. um, that generates the sales, it generates the profits, it generates the money that allows them to employ people at, yes, low prices. Mm-hmm. If they were paying 50 to to $100 a person to, pay, to make those shoes, those shoes wouldn't exist. But I think we need to be as cautious and suspicious of the claims made by business leaders as political leaders. Mm -hmm. And so
1: when they come out and say, all's well, don't worry, we have to sort of say, well, you know, I'm concerned about this, that, and the other thing, pollution, we're concerned about working conditions. And there is this thorny question of how do you bring the rest of the world up to speed without us falling down to their level? Free trade. (laughs) That's how you do it.
2: Well, That's you have you Japan. Have a, look at Japan. Yeah. Look, at, look, look at the example. Don't call me naive. Holy cow! You know, Japan <laughs> was beaten after the war. <laughs> Germany was too. We we went into trade agreements with them. They started practicing capitalistic concepts, although they didn't understand it in, on in its philosophical um, basis. But they understood the economics of it. And look how prosperous they are in what is basically a blink of the, an eye. If you're thinking in in big term history, mm-hmm. um, it's amazing what's happened. You know, I'm 50 years old now. It's scary. And, Japan and, has, and uh, has gone for the uh, biggest creditor nation in the
1: world to the biggest debtor nation in the world. They're not a good example to use right now. No,
2: that's, again, because mm-hmm. of sure, their, sure. Their, their, their government structure.
1: But no, broadly speaking, again, I can't posit an alternative because there's no,
0: uh, no uh, benevolent dictator
1: in the world who I'll trust to run things.
0: Gentlemen, I thank you this morning. I appreciate your thoughts. Uh, so what we're looking for is a benevolent dictator, says mm, so not me. I'm ready. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Metz says more more free trade, the freer the better.
2: Yeah, the less government and the less benevolence we are relying upon, the better off we are. Thanks
0: <laughs> to both of you. Appreciate it very very much. Thank you. It's been so left, right, and center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlam-